Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. In 2020, events have again shone a light on inequalities across the globe. And Australia is not an exception. 20 years on from the reconciliation walks of the year 2000, this nation's journey towards more just, equitable and reconciled identity still has a long way to go. With that in mind and in the spirit of reconciliation, we acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to the Elders past, present and emerging and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today. Welcome to Policy Forum Pod the podcast for those who want to dig a little deeper into the policy challenges facing Australia and its region. I'm Artie Bettigary and I'm your guest presenter for this special episode. Policy Forum Pod is presented by PolicyForum.net, based at the Crawford School of Public Policy. We're the Asia-Pacific region's leading graduate policy school, so if you're keen to take your public policy career up a notch or even reskill, there really isn't a better and more important time to come and study with us. Our wide range of postgraduate degrees and short courses is available on crawford.anu.edu.au slash study. Check them out now. We can't wait to welcome you on board. Over the past 12 years, researchers from the Crawford School have been working on an ambitious project to redefine how poverty is measured, taking an innovative, rights-based and people-centred approach. This has been collaborative research, and the past four years were a partnership between ANU and the International Women's Development Agency, with funding from the Australian Government through the Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade. During that project, this new approach to measuring poverty, then called the Individual Deprivation Measure, was further developed and tested. With the completion of the development phase, the measure has now been renamed as the Individual Measure of Multidimensional Poverty. This research didn't just assess how many people are poor, but rather how they experience poverty, the daily humiliations, privations and heavy workloads. In measuring deprivation across 15 dimensions, the results have revealed some incisive and in-depth information about patterns of poverty. Your regular Policy Forum Pod episodes will still be coming to you every Friday as usual. But over the next six weeks, I'll be bringing you a special bonus series, Making the Invisible Visible, to shed light on the issue of poverty by breaking down the figures provided by this new measure, getting behind the data and seeing how it can help policymakers better direct resources. In this first episode, I'm speaking with IDM co-director Professor Sharon Bessel about the aims of the project and some of the key findings. Sharon is a regular Policy Forum pod guest and presenter, and she also heads the Children's Policy Centre and the Policy and Inequality Research Centre here at the Crawford School.
Sharon. Hi, Artie. It's great to be here. Sharon, it's been 20 years since the Millennium Development Goals were conceptualised in 2000. They were pretty successful in reducing global poverty significantly. 20 years on, what's the view of how the MDGs were framed and delivered? I think we, we can all agree that the MDGs, and particularly MDG 1, which was focusing on ending extreme poverty and ending hunger, was successful. Um, We look at the number of people who have been lifted out of poverty over the past 20 years, and it is quite extraordinary. What we also see when we look at the MDGs is a rather narrow way of defining poverty. And here I'm focusing on on that first MDG rather than all of the MDGs. And the way in which poverty was defined in MDG 1 was according to the international poverty line. Now, this is important and it's really helpful in terms of mapping the number of people who are in poverty, tracking progress over time and being able to compare across countries. But that international poverty line is very, very low. It's the dollar a day poverty line that we hear about. And it's been increased incrementally over time. It currently stands at $1.90 a day. Now, if we look at, at that international poverty line and we think about how it was developed, it was developed by looking at the national poverty lines of 15 of the poorest countries around the world. So it's incredibly low. And I think if any of us were to think how we would survive on a dollar a day or a dollar ninety a day, we'd think that would be pretty tough. And so the MDG, the first MD, MDG 1, I think we can agree was a success, but we need to really interrogate what it was measuring. And that bar was set very, very low. And someone moving from being just below a dollar a day or just below a dollar ninety a day in terms of their income to being just above doesn't necessarily mean that their life is a lot better. So in some ways, the statistics can hide what's really happening in people's lives. So since then, we've had thinkers like Amartya Sen and Martha Nussbaum seeking to redefine how we approach poverty. What is this change and how does it actually shape the way the project was conceptualised? There's been quite a a significant shift um, and a broadening of the way in which we think about poverty over the the past 20 years. The work of of Sen and Nussbaum, which is within a capability approach, has been really important to that conceptual shift. And of course, they have argued that economic growth should be a means to an end, not an end in itself. They've argued that the end should be that people are able to choose a life that they have reason to value. And if we start to think in that way, then we start to think about poverty as as rather more than income or consumption-based poverty. We start to think about poverty in a range of dimensions. We start to think about the way in which it impacts on people's lives in terms of stigma and shame and the way in which poverty limits the choices that people can make. And Amartya Sen's work around the capability approach has been put into practice through the concept of human development that UNDP has pioneered. And that's been fundamentally important in shifting the way we measure poverty. The work that's been done at Oxford University in collaboration with UNDP to develop the multidimensional poverty index has been a really important part of that shift. The work that we've been doing around the individual deprivation measure has also been influenced by and has contributed to that shift. 
when we began this work uh, way back in 2009, it was driven by uh, the work of uh, another philosopher, Thomas Poggy, who was very critical of the way in which uh, poverty is measured. One of the critiques that Poggy put forward was that there are perverse incentives if we use um, a binary cutoff, a binary international poverty line, because for policymakers, for governments to look as though they've succeeded, we can essentially move a large group of people from just below a poverty line to just above a poverty line, but nothing substantively has changed in their lives. The people that we might be most worried about if we really want to address poverty are those who are right at the bottom. That's the group that's hard to move. And so Poggy's uh, critique was that the incentives may be to focus on those who are actually better off. Of course, if we're talking about the, the figure that I mentioned before, a dollar or a dollar ninety a day, everyone's doing pretty badly when that's the poverty line. But all of this thinking contributed to the view that income is fundamentally important to understanding and to measuring poverty, but it's not the only thing we should measure. We need to measure the material and also the non-material dimensions of poverty. And we need to understand the way poverty shapes people's lives. We can't see that by measuring income alone. And I think we all know from personal experience, from what we've seen on the media and, and documentaries, what we know from the evidence and the scholarly literature, that poverty shapes people's lives, it constrains people's lives, and it destroys people's lives. And if we're going to stop that, we need to know in detail how it plays out and how those, those terrible things happen to people and what we can do in terms of interventions to put people onto a different track, to genuinely support people out of poverty, to live the kind of life they have reason to value. So the IDM project is based around the individual deprivation measure. What is this and how is it different to earlier methods of framing poverty? So the individual deprivation measure or the IDM is quite radically different. So when we began this research, as I said, you know, back in 2009, we were concerned about um, the extent to which the way poverty was measured via income alone could be justified and concerned about whether or not it was just. And Thomas Poggy, who I mentioned, drove a lot of this work with his concern about what would make a just and justifiable measure of poverty. Now, usually measures of poverty are, are driven by economists or statisticians, um, and we had people from those disciplines in our project all along, but we also had people like me, who's a qualitative participatory researcher. So at the very beginning, when we started to say to ourselves, we started to ponder this question of what would be a just and justifiable measure of poverty, we landed in the position that we can only have such a measure if we begin by asking people who experience poverty every day of their lives. So rather than trying to develop a measure that was driven by expert opinion or by existing data, we went out and we did participatory research across six countries in 18 sites across those six countries. And we used participatory methods to work and to talk with people, women and men across different age groups, about how they experience poverty, how poverty impacted on their lives and the lives of people in their community. 
and what policymakers need to know to respond. And from that participatory research, we built the measure from the ground up. Now, most measures of poverty are based on the data that already exist. And existing data is much easier to get your hands on. You don't need to go out and survey thousands of people. But it's it's constrained by all of the limits that we have. Some of those limits are the fact that existing measures of poverty normally measure at the household level, not the individual. They're not very sensitive to gender. And so when we were developing this measure, we were acutely aware of the dimensions of poverty that are important in revealing the gendered nature of poverty. And we also included some questions that are almost never addressed in measuring poverty, like whether a woman has received um, prenatal care during a pregnancy. Importantly, like whether women have had access to sanitary products and if not, how that impacts on their ability to engage in important events in their community or to go to work or seek education. So this this measure is fundamentally different from the very start in terms of how we conceptualise poverty um, and then how we go about measuring it. So how did the methodology of this survey compare with that of other surveys? One of the most fundamental differences is the way we began, that we began by grounding it in that participatory research. But the survey itself also differs from other measures of poverty. And the most significant way in which it differs is that we interview every member of the household above a certain age. I should add here that the IDM doesn't assess childhood poverty, and we're doing some some different work around child-centred approaches to measuring childhood poverty. The IDM focuses on adult poverty, and we normally survey people from the age of 16 and above, in some countries 18 and above. But by interviewing with the survey every member of the household, we're able to get a sense of the way in which resources are distributed within the household. If we measure at the level of the household, we normally interview one person, that's often the household head, that's often a male, and the assumption is that that person is able to report accurately on the poverty of everyone within the household. But of course, that's not the case. By interviewing every member of the household, we're able to get a a much more nuanced and detailed understanding of poverty. And because we begin with the individual, we're then able to aggregate up to understand which social groups are most disadvantaged and how. So is it women or men who are disadvantaged and in what ways? But we can also see how poverty impacts on women in rural areas who are over the age of 60, for example. So we get this very, very rich understanding of the way in which poverty plays out in people's lives. Where do you think this project will take us in terms of how we define poverty looking ahead? I think this research has the potential to reframe not just how we measure poverty, but how we respond to poverty. The nuanced data that we get from this approach is incredibly relevant to policy. It tells us which groups are left behind and it tells us how. It tells us the way in which gender, disability, age, geographic location intersect to shape poverty. 
and it gives us the the kind of information that policymakers, programmers, service providers need to reach those groups that really are being left behind. So I think it's it's incredibly important work in terms of the measurement of poverty, uh, but also incredibly important work in terms of responses to poverty. In terms of the way we we think about, the way we conceptualise and the way we define poverty, I would suggest that income is always going to be important. We are always going to need to measure income, but we need to measure more. And what this approach does is give us the way of measuring more and measuring both material and non-material dimensions of poverty. So I think it gives us the way a way of expanding our definition of poverty in ways that matter to people who experience it and in ways that matter in terms of our responses. And what is really exciting is that while this program is coming to an end at the end of June 2020, as you mentioned, Artie, we will be continuing this research under a new name, under the banner of the Individual Measure of Multidimensional Poverty. And through that work, we'll be able to continue to contribute to global debates um, and hopefully not just contribute to debates, but actually provide some resolution to those debates and some pathways forward in ways that really support and benefit men and women who are living in poverty. That was Sharon Bessel, lead researcher on the IDM project. Listeners, we'd love to hear your thoughts on today's discussion. You can reach us via Twitter at Apps Policy Forum. That's at APPS Policy Forum. Or shoot us a good old-fashioned email, podcast at policyforum.net. You can reach out to the Individual Measure of Multidimensional Poverty directly on Twitter at Research Poverty. If you want to find out more about the research we've discussed today, you can visit immp.crawford.anu.edu. We hope that you enjoyed today's episode. If you have, we'd love you to subscribe to us. We're on Acast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you normally get your favourite series from. And whilst you're there, you might even want to leave us a review. Your support is always greatly appreciated. Your regular episodes of Policy Forum Pod will be out on Friday, and I'll be back with you next week for another episode in our special bonus series. So until next time from me, Archie Bettigary, thanks for joining us. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.